0: This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC, News Talk 1080, and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and welcome this Saturday. Uh, What a nice welcoming voice. We have a new introduction, a new voice, and uh, boy, it sounds great. Uh, I've been looking forward to today's show. Uh, My guest is going to be Dr. Natasha Drajicevich. Dr. Natasha is a neurologist specializing in behavioral neurology. That means dementia, uh, and not just Alzheimer's disease, but all of the things that affect our memory. So we're going to really have a conversation with her. She has such excellent credentials. She's currently an assistant professor of neurology at the U- University of Connecticut. So we're going to chat later on in the show about causes of dementia, what you could do to avoid dementia, and things such as that. I want to thank uh, the university uh, this week I had a chance to participate in the Silent Science Salon, an interesting program. They do several of them a year, and uh, this one was done on concussion and head injury, and it was just super. I was there with Bob Howard um, and several other experts about concussion, and it was just great having people come out and ask questions, uh, about 110 people there, and it was just a nice program. So, uh, you know, if you go to the UConn website, they have these periodically on different topics, and uh, it was really educational for all of us. And actually, it was held over at the Yardgoat Stadium, Dunkin' Donuts Park. Uh, I didn't realize they have, you know, facilities there for conferences all season. So, again, it's a great facility because they thought about what are you going to do in the off season, and they had catering, and, and it was really just wonderful, wonderful setup there. February 10th, 1912. This day in 1912 was the day Sir Joseph Lister died. Very interesting. He was an English surgeon, and he was the pioneer in antiseptic surgery. So right away we start thinking Listerine, right? I mean, it's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, His work in 1865 was the use of carbolic acid as an antiseptic. So he was the first person to take Pasteur's advances in microbiology and apply them to the operating room. He was able to dramatically reduce postoperative infections by using antiseptics and using what we call sterile technique. And and it gave him the name of the father of of modern surgery. And indeed, Listerine in eighteen now Listerine's been around since eighteen seventy nine, was named after him uh, by Joseph Lawrence, who was the person who first produced Listerine because and they marketed it at that time as a treatment for halitosis bad breath so very interesting uh and this is the day february 10th 1912 when he died sir joseph lister uh, it was a great story i'm not telling you folks anything new the flu has hit us hard i mean we're talking about 63 flu deaths in connecticut alone 52 of those are people over the age of 65 We've had 1,300 hospitalizations, 11,000 hospitalizations nationwide. But more importantly, 53 children are dead. Actually, that number has gone up in the last week. So we have more than 53 children who have died from the flu. What I really want to make sure people understand is it's coming back again. There's a new wave of the flu, a different strain, and it's just as deadly. Please, if you haven't gotten a flu shot, get it. It only takes two weeks for the immunization to kick in, and it'll be in time for the next wave that's going to hit us in March and April. So please, especially for your children, uh, get the immunization. Immunization is probably the greatest gift we have in medical science in modern times. So please take advantage of that. They're giving them out for free. It's not like a charge for it, but we have to protect the population, and that's the way to do it. Interesting article I read this week was about electronic device overuse in university students. They did this study in Hong Kong, and they looked at students who were using their cell phones. They called heavy users for more than five hours a day and lighter users or moderate users for less than five hours a day. And what they did was they looked at their wrists, looking for carpal tunnel syndrome, basically an impingement of the median nerve at the wrist. And they found that students – so these are young people. These are not people who are arthritic and aged and been doing a lot of hand work their whole life. But instead, these college students were much more prone to have carpal tunnel syndrome, even at their young age, by repetitive use of these handheld devices for more than five hours a day. How do you get around that? You modify, first of all, how you use it, how much you use it at a time – and and honestly, voice texting works pretty darn well, and maybe it's time to start thinking about doing that a little bit more uh, in rather than using your hands uh, a great deal. Another thing that came up in the news this week was the state of New Jersey is now posting a ban on menthol cigarettes. I, I, I guess that we probably should ban all cigarettes, but they're going to ban menthol cigarettes, and they'll be the first – state to do this. So I was curious as to why they chose menthol cigarettes. And apparently because of the cooling effect of menthol, it allows people to, the smokers, to draw in more toxic substances and leave it in their lungs for a more extended period of time. Uh, And so, you know, I hate passing new laws that really tell us common sense. I mean, it's common sense, folks, that cigarettes cause cancer, uh, menthol cigarettes, any cigarette causes cancer, but now they're going to have to pass some legislation. The government's going to have to get involved and start telling us what's good for us. Uh, I think it's just a sad state of affairs. Uh, You know, we talked a little bit last week about uh, motor vehicle accidents related to drunk driving and intoxicated driving. A study has just come out looking at the AAA produced the study, actually. And and again, the American Automobile Association is pro-driver. I mean, that's why they're there. Uh, So it's not some government agency with some subversive look at this. But they looked at the study, and a dramatic number of motor vehicle accidents are due to drowsiness, drowsy driving. Why is it such a big problem? People are working ridiculous hours. We're working crazy hours, work at nights, work in days. Nobody's getting enough sleep as prescribed. We know that as physicians and we're now getting behind the wheel in the early morning. We're getting to want to beat the traffic. So we're going to get to work a little bit earlier, still drowsy. And because of that, you don't have to be outright asleep behind the wheel, but that inattentiveness due to drowsiness has caused an increasing number of motor vehicle accidents. So please, please don't get behind the wheel if you are impaired. Impaired means alcohol, medication, and drowsiness. And if you have a medical condition and have been told by your physician not to operate a motor vehicle until we get to the bottom of it, don't do it. Because these are the people who are killing others. Now, what do we need to avoid that? We need to start promoting more public transportation, more alternatives. But until then, we have to keep the population safe. I'm going to give you the phone numbers now for Healthy Rounds uh, before we get to my next guest. So Healthy Rounds, uh, you're going to call in at 860-522-9842 or 1-800-966-9842. If you don't want to ask your question on the air, you can text me or actually email me at info at alessimd.com. I'll be giving you the numbers throughout the show my guest coming up is Dr. Natasha Dragisovic and she is a neurologist specializing in behavioral disorders and specifically Alzheimer's disease you're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 Those are the sounds of Patty LaBelle who is at Mohegan Sun tonight. So if you're in the area and uh, still want to, I I don't know if tickets are still available, but get over to Mohegan Sun. There's always something going on, and I'm sure you'll enjoy yourself at uh, uh, such a a great place. Uh, Before we get started with my guest, um, we have a call. Uh, We have Jim from Torrington. Jim, you had a call about drowsy driving. Hi, yes, I did. I just uh, tuned into the tail end of your conversation, but I did want to mention that I've been finding myself shaking my head to stay awake as I drive behind the wheel in sales. I'm a sales guy, 35,000 miles a year or so driving. Wow! Finally rectified the problem, I'll be honest with you. That I found that I was just almost dehydrated an awful lot of my days driving down the road. It was just, just that simple. And I just, for other reasons, started to drink a lot more water, which I've been very negligent in doing for a bunch of years, and I have to say it's amazing. The amount of, uh, I guess you'd say, the attentiveness, uh, much more attentive behind the wheel. Jim, uh, thank you for calling in. That's that's a great point. Um, you know, in terms of making sure you're adequately hydrated to stay more alert. That's super. Yeah. Jim, hey, thank, have a you. Good day. thank you. Thank you. It was a great call. Um, my guest today is uh, Dr. Natasha Dragicovich. Um, she is a neurologist, assistant professor of neurology at the University of Connecticut, and she specializes in behavioral neurology. She recently came to us at UConn from uh, Columbia Presbyterian at the Neurologic Institute. Uh, Natasha, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Um,
0: let's chat a little bit. I guess can you describe for our listeners the scope of the problem with dementia in in terms of. How many does it affect, and, and, and how much impact is it having on our healthcare system?
1: So dementia um, as, starts usually as increasing forgetfulness for the most common type of dementia, which is Alzheimer's disease, which I'm sure everyone heard of many times. And that disease actually affects a 6 million of Americans. And the prediction is that it will affect another several million in the next five or 10 years. So it's a very big number. And that's the most common uh, type of dementia, which starts usually with people... Um, Forgetting things becomes usually, like, it starts benign. Um, they're just, you know, misplacing their keys, uh, not remembering their appointments. Somebody needs to remind them. Then the family notices. And usually uh, it becomes more severe with people getting lost outside of their homes. They're sitting, you know, they you, you start driving and you just make a wrong turn and have a horrible accident. And it's all because your memory is just uh, affected very terribly in, you know, in the advanced disease so that's the most common uh, most common type of uh, dementia. So we do have some other types, which are also very important. So it's frontotemporal dementia, for instance, which starts with the behavioral problems. And we have also uh, uh, basically Lewy body dementia, which is a um, disease that basically starts with hallucinations, people hear things, they see things that are not there, and they do usually have delusions. So they're believing in, uh, you know, delusions of prosecution, somebody's hunting them, somebody wants To poison them. And it's usually the family members. So the family members get very, um, you know, upset and usually uh, seek medical care early in the disease, which is totally appropriate. But, you know, so these are just some of the most common types, um, with again, Alzheimer's being the most common. and and very, very common in people over 65. It's very rare in younger people than 35 or 40, but above 65, it's it's extremely common.
0: Natasha, uh, let's start with Alzheimer's disease. You mentioned forgetting keys, forgetting things. At what point, I think we all ask ourselves, at (laughs) what point do we start to be concerned? Someone once told me uh, (laughs) that if you lose your keys and find them, you're okay. If you find your keys, and don't know how to use them, now you've got a problem. But So (laughs) I realize there's a range of difference in between there. At what point should some of our listeners start thinking, hey, maybe I need to get this checked?
1: So that's, that's a great point. Um, if you find your keys and don't know how to use them, definitely you have to go to a neurologist. Okay. (laughs) But however, I mean, if the forgetfulness becomes, uh, they, on a daily basis, it's becoming, uh, you know, worrisome for you and for the members of your family, meaning like, oh, I am, I'm losing my keys multiple times per day. I'm putting my socks in the fridge. You know, I'm taking like the trash and putting it in the washing machine or something like that. Well, that's, when you have to be worried so but uh, you know if 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 the occasional forgetfulness happens you misplace your keys or or you're not able to remember your doctor's appointments and you set up your reminders on your phone or do a calendar or write it down or have somebody remind you and it's not very frequent then it's probably just a sign of normal aging however there is a fine line between a normal aging and a cognitive problem so uh, usually people who, who this is happening to, they tend to minimize the symptoms, but the family members have to step in in that case. And it's very important that they actually are involved in the in the care, you know, and in the lives of their loved ones. So usually you have, you know, families who have elderly parents, they don't see them very often. And then all of a sudden they see them like over the Christmas, you know, or Thanksgiving, and they're like, Oh my God, what's happened to my dad or my mom? I mean, they don't even know what we're talking about. They keep asking same questions over and over and not remembering the answer. So that's probably when when the family starts worrying. So So to avoid that and to basically, you know, start worrying when it should be and when, you know, we can have some interventions, it's usually early in the disease. Uh, That means being involved, you know, in the lives of your loved ones, especially if they're over 65 or having someone who basically monitors them on a daily basis, you know, for for any, um, you know, major concerns.
0: You raised two interesting points. Uh, Usually when families get together and they see someone has dementia, their first thought is, am I going to get it? (laughs) Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so let's, let's talk a little bit about genetics and Alzheimer's disease, if you can.
1: Of course. Definitely. So, uh, again, like good news here is that very few cases are genetic, which will be like a relief for a lot of people since that's the major question. Like, oh, I'm going to get it. My dad has it. My mom has it. No. Likelihood is you will not get it unless you have two or more. Like immediate family members, meaning your, you know, your parents or your aunts, uncles, your grandparents who had early onset dementia, and that usually means early onset is somebody who is less than sixty years old. So if it's above sixty-five and it's sporadic, my grandfather had it. You know, I'm worried I'm I'm gonna have it, but he had his first symptoms at seventy-eight. Then usually you will not get it, and it's it's extremely rare to have that sort of genetic. Um, makeup, but uh, that being said, there is 1% to 2% of uh, genetic causes of Alzheimer's, which are linked to the specific mutations in genes, such as presenilins, And that definitely deserves to be checked. We do have excellent genet- genetic specialists, you know, in any of the university. I mean, especially at UConn here, we do have a genetic counselor. And in case you do have more than two family members with an early onset dementia, definitely you can you can have uh, the genetic counsel and you can do the test. And definitely the mutation will be discovered. And then um, obviously there is a talk after that about expectations and you know early treatment and what needs to be done in case you do indeed have a mutation in one of these genes that can cause Alzheimer's. However, that being said, I want everybody to remember it's very rare. So Great. it's only 1% to 2%, which is good news.
0: We're all somewhat assured. <laughs> uh, before we take a break, I'm going to give the phone numbers again. We're going to take a short break and then get back. The phone numbers here are 860 522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. That's 966-WTIC. Also, info at com. When we get back, we're going to be talking a little bit about multitasking. How does that play a role in dementia because everybody's multitasking these days we want to talk about some of the different types but how do you make the diagnosis where do you go now that you've noticed you're somewhat forgetful what's my next step in trying to find out do i have a dementia and more importantly what am i going to do about it you're listening to healthy rounds on wtic news talk 1080 We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today we're chatting with Dr. Natasha Dragicevic, and she is a neurologist at the University of Connecticut specializing in behavioral neurology, and we're talking about dementia, forgetfulness, and things such as that. Uh, Natasha, right before the break, we talked. I wanted to talk a little bit about multitasking, because I have so many young people coming in to talk to me and say, I think I have dementia but when you break it down they're multitasking they're trying to do four things at one time rarely are we just on the telephone right we're on the telephone but we're doing something else uh, how how do we where do we draw the line with multitasking and someone who is truly demented
1: So that's a great question. Um, Multitasking per se is something that should not be happening for too long during the day because it does overwhelm your brain. So you have too many informations. You're trying to channel the activity, you know, like multi-channel basically the activity you're trying to. Talk on the phone, maybe, you know, type something on your computer at the same time. Watch your kids or even drive, So, which is horrible. You should never drive and talk on the phone or, you know, do anything else other than driving. So that's extremely dangerous. So multitasking per se in younger people, you can tolerate it for a certain number of years or, you know, but then eventually it becomes a big problem. And for elderly people, I definitely do not recommend that. So if you can... uh, Decrease the time of multitasking to, let's say, half an hour or one hour a day. I think that's the goal because um, the more you do it and the more it becomes a repetitive action, maybe as a, as a part of your job, you know, or something that you do every day, your brain basically gets overwhelmed in information. And right now there is a... Um, Consensus in the dementia world that the mild cognitive impairment stems probably from brain being overwhelmed by too many information in a continuous, long period. So that doesn't mean if I multitask for two days, I'm going to get a dementia or I'm going to have a mild cognitive impairment. However, it becomes, if it becomes a part of my life and if I do it on a daily basis at my job, then definitely after a certain you know number of years or even months for some people, we are all different, we may develop something called mild cognitive impairment, meaning that we do subjectively feel that our memory is not the greatest, even though it's not really impacting our lives. Maybe we won't have have a you know crash on the highway but it may as well be stemming in that direction so it's very important to minimize that and it's truly not good for your for your brain health and for your basically ability to do things in life with good quality you can't multitask and you know do things with good quality and that's exactly what you want you got to focus on one thing and finish it and that way your brain is not getting overwhelmed and you're able to complete that task in a proper way Natasha,
0: at, a, at about what age should we start cranking that back a little bit in terms of uh, obviously younger people can can manage a little bit better uh, at multitasking. But uh, at what age should we start saying, you know, this isn't a good idea uh, to multitask?
1: Exactly. So um, I think probably at about 35 or 40, as you, you know, approach the middle aged years, uh, everything starts to be a little more problematic than, sure. than it was when we were younger. I mean, when you're in your 20s, you're not thinking about that, really. So you're just full of life, full of, you know, speed and you're just going and doing things the way you you want them to be done. And you're not thinking about consequences. However, like at about 35, I would say uh, things began to slow down with your health as well. I mean, you become a little slower and you need more time to focus on the task. So I think it's, it's a good time to basically, um, recuperate, you know, and just start to rethinking about, about how you want your life organized. And maybe if you're in a stressful job i mean if your job requires you to be multitasking and you know having you do several things at one point you may become stressed you you may have depression you may have anxiety you can have panic attacks and that all again is not beneficial for your memory and for your cognitive health you know we call cognitive health everything all your well-being you know including your memory including your executive function including decision making you know behavior so that's also very important so like this in the long run affects all of your cognitive capabilities and and multitasking per se is is not a very good option for anyone however younger people do tolerate it better and that being said even if you're younger i would still consider changing that you know in order To not to have consequences when you actually become older. So, yeah.
0: All right, let's grab a question. Uh, Michelle from Tallinn had a question about organizing. Uh, Michelle, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, how are you? Okay. Um, I have a relative who I'm partially trying to help a little bit because it's it's a very odd case of dementia, if I (laughs) might say that. Um, It seems like her, and she's supposed to be, she, she tries not to admit that she actually has it, I, I, and I don't know if that's something that is common in this. Yes, very common. Um, and she's a very intelligent person. She's um, a very smart person. Who I I just it, it's so overwhelming to even be with sure. her because you can't understand, you know. So when we find that she has the biggest problem with it, is trying to remember just every day, you know, what she has to do, and she has like a planner book and. Part of what I feel her problem is, is she just stares at it constantly to try to, you know, put that stuff back into her head to, to remember. And um, is there like a class? Is there things that you, not so much for her, but for us, so that we can try to help her to make it easier? Okay.
1: Most definitely. I mean, I just have a question: Has she been ever evaluated by a neurologist? Did she have yes, any testing done? What is the di- what is her diagnosis? If you don't well, mind sharing,
2: they're, um, they're saying early Alzheimer's. But her problem also has been that she's had some severe concussions. I see. So I don't know, like how far, because she denies that she's even been to anybody. Oh, or she says that her doctor's <laughs> her doctor is um, tells her there's nothing wrong with her. Okay, and. Well, last The next appointment, she's actually going to bring me, supposedly, to, to have the doctor tell me there's nothing wrong with
0: her. Well, actually, um, you're bringing up several great points, Michelle. Um, so, uh, you know, with head injury, okay, specifically with head injury and mm-hmm. that impact on dementia. We're coming up on a break, um, so uh, we're going to hang up, but then we're going to answer your question, Michelle.
2: That would be great. I, All right, I'd, I'd thanks. Appreciate it. Thank All you. right, bye-bye. Bye.
0: Um, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to get back because Michelle brought up a couple of good points about someone with question of Alzheimer's disease who has had multiple head injuries. We also want to talk a little bit about how do we get to the diagnosis and how do we treat dementia. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. we're back on healthy rounds i'm your host dr anthony alessi and we're in the final segment of today's show and we're chatting with dr natasha Dragisovich, and she is a neurologist specializing in behavioral neurology so natasha right before the break michelle brought up a couple of interesting points that i wanted to touch on Uh, one was uh, caring for someone who has a behavioral problem uh, in terms of cognitive difficulty or changes in their overall behavior, who may have had concussions in the past. Everybody was hearing about CTE. Everybody is starting to panic if they've hit their head in the past about CTE. And I know a lot of your research was done in this area. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes, definitely. So uh, again, concussions, they do not help. Memory, however, it's usually reversible, meaning you get back to your baseline. So if you hit a, hit your head several times, you will eventually get back to your baseline. It just takes time. However, that being said, everybody knows about Muhammad Ali and several great athletes who basically brought, you know began to actually develop diseases such as Parkinson's disease and Parkinson's disease dementia, which is another cognitive uh, disorder of patients who do have Parkinson's disease, so they do tend to have also memory loss and and some other some other uh, symptoms. So that being said, a repetitive concussion throughout your entire life probably have more impact towards your cognitive health and uh, the risk of developing dementia, as opposed to like a hit here and there. Like I hit the ceiling, I was fixing something or, you know, things like that. So, um, you should not be worried if you just have a brief hit on the head. So that should not be worrisome for you because people usually get back to their, their baseline pretty shortly. Like by six months, you should be back to your normal functioning, thinking, you know, your normal life.
0: Um, Moving ahead. So someone comes to see you. What are some of the things that you're going to do to try to further classify if they have dementia and what type of dementia?
1: Exactly. That's a great question. So we do have at UConn Health um, an outpatient pavilion. We do have a behavioral neurology section, and that's the subspecialty that I'm running. I'm a director of uh, cognitive neurology. And we basically see all patients who have memory problems or behavioral problems, And they do not fit the psychiatry. So it could be frontotemporal dementia. Again, I want you to keep in mind that if there is a sudden behavioral change, sudden development of inappropriate activity outside or in the house, you know, for instance, going on gambling all of a sudden or going online and and like transferring money. To, to people who request money from you. So I had several patients who did exactly that, and there was a beginning symptom of frontotemporal dementia. So always think of something outside of your character or something like totally opposite to your, you know, family members' character, something that happens, development like of different you know, taste for foods, like sweets or or meats, and for a person who you didn't used to eat these types of food before. So anything that's a change. So we do see them at UConn Health Outpatient Pavilion. We do assessment. So first is the neurological exam of course first is the interview we prefer if family members come with them so they can provide us with collateral we talk to them we do um, neurological exam we do mini mental exam which actually gives us a baseline about their cognitive functioning then we do a neuropsychological evaluation which is with the neuropsychologist it's like a 3 hour test which further uh, depicts the uh, you know, the cognitive problems, and helps us establish a diagnosis. They have an MRI of the brain, and then depending on what the diagnosis is, if we're suspecting frontotemporal dementia or Alzheimer's dementia or Lewy body dementia, there are several other tests, including specific PET scans and SPECT scans that can actually help us establish the correct diagnosis. That being said, it's very important, and also brought brought on Michelle's question, that it's very important that a patient who has mild cognitive impairment or dementia is actually in a... uh, Setting that can actually help them develop their best potential, meaning the daycare uh, with, uh, you know, other, other people who do have cognitive impairment where they can actually, you know, have dance classes, they can have uh, reading clubs, they can have, you know, exercise activities such as yoga or aquatics, which is extremely, you know, well known to help patients who have cognitive problems, to do PT in the pool, aquatic swimming, um, engaging in activities with other members. So that's why we feel that a patient who has memory problems should never be left on their own. They should always be, you know, with other people and Always establishing social connections because that's one of the one of the social isolation is one of the predisposing factors for development of mild cognitive impairment and dementia. The less you socialize, the more at risk you are that your memory is going to basically be affected at some age.
0: Do we have a medication yet?
1: We do have a symptomatic treatment. So, as everybody knows, we don't have a cure yet. So, we do have several uh, drugs that we call that are acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. One of the most well-known ones is donepezil or Aricept. That can slow down the process a little bit. However, the process is still, you know, the memory loss still is ongoing. Currently, uh, the clinical trials are ongoing, and we do have anti-amyloid medications. Uh, amyloid is a substance that actually accumulates in patients who have Alzheimer's in their brains. And we tried, um, especially when I was at Columbia University, we did studies where we would uh, basically use that medication, give it to the patients who had dementia, try to remove the amyloid from their brain and seeing if we can reverse the dementia. If they can go back to normal memory, however, unfortunately, that was not the case. So we did remove the amyloid, but they remained demented.
0: Okay, we have three minutes and we have questions coming up. First thing I want to do is uh, give the phone number for 860-679-2000 is the main phone number for Yukon Health and ask for the Department of Neurology to reach out to Dr. Natasha. So here's what we're going to do. We've taken uh, Janet. Uh, we've got about a minute, so if you could just give us your question and we'll hang up and answer it and we can get to the next person.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, doctor. I just wonder if you can give me some advice. My mom was recently diagnosed with a cerebral type of dementia, mm-hmm. and she's stuck on the fact that her husband, who passed away in 2010, is alive and that we're all crazy. Um, she At nighttime, she wants to go out to look for him. She wants to call the police. We have aides with her. It's, it's just really bad. We, we're trying to calm her down. And if you can give us any advice to see what we can do for her, she was on uh, medicine but it was not agreeing with her. So right now she's not on anything. Okay. Um, so thank
1: you, Let's doctor. Let's see what we I can do. You. Well, thank
0: you. Natasha, what do you think? Um, you know, those people usually use antipsychotics or w- exactly. what would you recommend?
1: So it uh, depends on what the de- the type of dementia is. So there is an um, uh, Alzheimer's disease with psychotic features, which this looks to me like that, and that's pretty much advanced disease. Or it could be Lewy body dementia. Seroquel? Seroquel, yes. Okay, it's So Seroquel, I hope, I mean, it does have less side effect than Risperidone and any of the typical antipsychotics that we usually use. So I always use Seroquel. You can even think about Trazodone, you know, to calm them down. Mirtazapine sometimes works if they have insomnia. But the most important thing is to basically... Um, uh, not to have them sleep during the night. So it's very important because they they have a lot of sundowning and they have a sleep-wake cycle is completely reversed. So they're usually awake during the night and they they sleep during the day. So it's very important to manage their sleep preferences and to manage their behavior as well. You know, with Seroquel, preferably. So that's the goal to go drug right now in cases of the advanced Alzheimer's with the psychotic features. And
0: it's so disconcerting to see them so agitated Correct. Um, from that state standpoint.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: okay, we have Donald from Durham. Donald, welcome.
2: Yes, I'm 64 years old. I'm going to go as fast as I can. I got uh, hit by a tick. I had Dion Barre. I was hospitalized for three months, and my PT and OT went great, but the uh, cognitive things didn't go very well, and I was just referred to a behavioral neurologist Friday, and I was just wondering if they can really help me.
0: Uh, so so you were referred on Friday. Yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, the question is neuropsychometric testing. Have you had testing yet, you know, the series no, of well, IQ tests?
2: I had some testing in Gaylord, but the insurance company stopped them from from that. And my primary said, uh, we're going to refer you to a neurological psychiatrist, and he referred me to a behavioral
0: neurologist. Okay. Yes,
1: that's the, the that's the best. So you should go to a behavioral neurologist and they will do the workup. Yeah,
0: that's and what you need. Because it
1: could be unrelated to your Guillain-Barre, totally. It could yeah, be totally that's a different you know, Absolutely. disease. Absolutely. And, that, and that's what they were saying. If exactly. Totally I think that's there, what it is. You're welcome to come to Yukon Health and see us in the clinic. Oh, I'm coming to UConn. I'm okay,
0: sounds right. great. Sounds I'll good. See you there. um that's good a a potential patient so uh, natasha listen thank you so much um for your time and and specifically thank you for all you we we really just touched on the surface of this today you could tell from the questions um so we're definitely going to have to get you back here to talk a little bit about lewy body dementia we wanted to talk a little bit about um you know what people are hearing about that and and things such as that but thank you specifically for all your work thank you
1: (laughs) Thanks.
0: So next week on Healthy Rounds,
1: we're going uh, to get talked to
0: Tanya Bilchik on. We're trying to get her back in here to talk a little bit about migraine, um, which has been a hot topic with new medications and new devices. Many thanks to our studio producer. Mike Olko has been on the board today. Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next up on WTIC is Garden Talk with Len. Please remember to help save lives by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Until next week, please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC, News Talk 1080, and WTIC.com.